Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. I love being a dad. And um, three words that I have heard repetitively over the years, I hear it so often, arises when a child doesn't get their way or there seems to be some level of injustice between the siblings. Three words. It's not parents. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Children, do you ever say that to mum or dad? It's not fair. You know, sometimes it's just not fair, is it? This morning, I feel to take us to a portion of scripture where we're going to find that God is just not fair. Well, where are we going today? Can I just say, uh, brothers and sisters, that if God really was fair with us, where would we end up? But it's because of an emblem like this that we can experience grace. If you got your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to start off at verse 11. Going to read a lovely chunk of scripture. And I want you to picture, if you can, a story that Jesus is trying to tell us. He's telling us the story about a father and not just one son, but two sons. This is on the backdrop of him telling us two previous stories. One about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and lost one when looking for the one. And also a woman who had some silver coins lost one, and go searching for the one. We now pick up a large portion of Scripture. I want, if you can, as you read the Bible, as I'm sure many of us uh, read regularly, ask the question, what does this tell me about God? And what might this tell me about myself or the story of us? I'm going to get Emma Bazidis, if you can help me by reading that big chunk of Scripture from the ESV. If you'd like to follow, it'll be on the screens. Thank you. The parable of the prodigal son. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your goodness. I'm so grateful for your word. And I ask that your spirit would minister to us all, because your word doesn't just bring life, it is life nourish and nurture our souls that we would get a great picture of you in jesus name we thank you god's people said amen so again this was the third story that jesus told and it was in response actually to um to some people that were grumbling at at the beginning of chapter 15 verse 1 and 2 if we can put it on the screens it says this Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Drawing near to who? Jesus. Okay, so the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So then he told them the parable of the shepherd. Then he told them the parable of the woman uh, that was searching. Then he told them the parable of the father with the two sons. So this was in response to some grumblings that were taking place. They were grumbling that this man receives sinners and eats with them. The word actually um, receives, it's not just receives, it's more connected to welcomes. Welcomes. In fact, that word is prostikomai, which is mentioned six other times, and it always means eagerly await or expect and look for. So the inference here is that Jesus was expecting or looking for, in a very welcoming and inclusive way, people that were dirty, foul, outcast, socially looked down upon. And they didn't like that. It was messing things up because Jesus was apparently supposed to be this this, um, uh, this 
rabbi that was holy, who was loving and teaching, but it was including the down and the out of society. We then see that Jesus tells a picture, tells a story that paints a picture of a father. Who is the father? Who's Jesus talking about? He's talking about God the Father. He's talking himself. He's saying, he's basically saying, hey, pay attention to how this father treats two sons. I know that that your Bible might say that the parable of the prodigal son. It's actually two sons. And I think the hero is not the prodigal son or even either son. Who's the hero of the story? It's the father. The father is the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. Sorry. So we read through that lens. A father, a loving father, a good, good father, which we can sing a song about that. He has two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. According to the Mosaic law in Deuteronomy chapter 21, the division of that would be two-thirds to the firstborn, one-third to the younger. The younger is basically saying, I want now. I want the inheritance now. It was an incredible insult for a son to say that to a father. Understand in Middle Eastern culture in that particular day, to do that would be to say something like, I believe that you're as good as dead to me. I want your property Divide up your property. He's saying, I want it. That word property, so you get an idea, it's not just a matter of resource. The word property there means bios, which refers to life. So what he's saying is, I want everything and I want my share now. I don't care about you. I want your stuff. I don't care about the father. I want what the father can give me. There's no one in this room that treats God's God like that, is there? I'll read on. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country. He gathered all he had. So imagine that all this property, the resource, the son took with him. What, what was the acquisition that the son had? land, animals, cattle, there would have had to be some sort of liquidation that took place, which would have been an incredibly offensive, insulting process for a father who, by the way, he was wealthy, he had a lot. But he takes what he has with him and uh, he squanders it. He goes into a far country, squanders his property in reckless living, and when he had spent everything... A severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. I find it fascinating that Jesus included this in that story. Not just that he wasted, he squandered, he lost his stuff, but there was also a famine in the land. Why did Jesus insert that? I love asking, Lord, why did you do that? Sometimes there are things and situations in life that the, that the Lord allows you to go through that in his grace causes us to come to the end of ourselves which is the first step before we come to himself. It's very hard to come back to the Father if we come, haven't come to our own senses. 
You might be in church and you've been coming to church for a long time. You're struggling to come to God. You come to church, but you can't come to God because you haven't come to the end of yourself yet. I know because that was me. Verse 15 says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. When he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Again, who was Jesus telling the story to? What was the audience? What was the, what was the race? Jewish people. Do Jewish people have much to do with pigs? No. It's unacceptable. It's offensive to be with pigs and then eating out of the trough, out of the pods with the pigs. That's how bad things have got. The son who was with the father, he just wanted his share now. He gave his father an unholy backhander. I want it, give it to me now. I don't care about you. I just want what's coming to me. He squanders, he loses it, and he ends up feeding with the pigs. And then at that point, the Bible tells us in verse 17, he came to himself. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. It's such a sad couple of verses here. Understand this. Look, he goes, I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants and here in those couple of verses we see three key words that are mentioned a number of times we see the word father which is mentioned 11 times in this passage we see the word son that's mentioned nine times in this passage and we see the word servant which is mentioned five times in this passage father son and servant father son and servant i would submit to your brothers and sisters that at times we have behaved just like this son and we have felt ourselves in a situation where we said I'm no longer worthy to be treated as a son or daughter but as a as a hireling as a servant have you ever caught yourself in a situation a season in your life where you have done wrong things, you've said wrong things, you've thought wrong things, and you have felt this big. And in that moment, you come to God and you say, oh, I'm not worthy to be a son. I'm not worthy to be a daughter. Maybe maybe if I did some good stuff and I served, then, then, then I could be treated like a servant. Am I the only one? If I, if I, if I prayed more, if I read my Bible more, if I gave more, and when we try to behave as servants rather than as sons and daughters, those things are good, but that's not our identity. And so what does love look like for the father? The first thing here is 
we see a love that lets go. A love that lets go. What did the father let go of? Well, if we go back a little bit, he actually loved the son enough to let him go in the first place, didn't he? He loved the son enough to let him go. True love, love of the father is not a love that is controlling. It is not dominating. It is not coercive. It is not constricting. It is liberating. That's what God's love looks like. But also note that the father loved his son enough to let go of his own offense of the son. The insults. What about his reputation? To forgive like that. What about his resources that were wasted and squandered? Because we see such a hopeful verse coming up. Watch this. He rose, he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. How good is that? <laughs> the son was loved by the father while he was at home, while he left the home, and as he came back. Yesterday, Pastor Brett shared with the men a story about one of his sons, a friend of mine, Dan, who before the age of 18 um, was living a life of struggle, alcoholism, drugs, in his own home. And Pastor Brett shared how there was a point that we're in love. Pastor Brett and his wife, Joe had to say to Dan, listen, this is not how you can live in this home. Vomit all over the floor, drug abuse under our roof. If it continues, there's the door. Was that unloving? No, it was tough love. Love is at times tender. Love is at times tough. And we see that throughout scripture. To think that God is always, always and only exclusively a te tender, soft, um, delicate demonstrator of love is dismissing the holiness and the fullness of God. Because at times he is firm. He's incredibly loving. And parents, we understand sometimes we have to be tough. My father and mother at times were very tough on me. And I needed it. Here's a shout out to all fathers out there who are demonstrating tenderness, but also toughness. There is an attack on fatherhood in this world today. There's an attack. Blind Freddy can see it. There's an attack on masculinity. To sweep out the legs from under fathers from leading and loving in a sacrificial, selfless way. In saying that as well, though, there's also an attack on women and motherhood. The whole push for transgenderism. It's not just an attack on masculinity, but also femininism, femininity. We have been created in the likeness of God, male and female. This, here's a newsflash. There are two genders. A mother and a father. 
It shouldn't be political to say that. That's so offensive. Read this book. Do you find that offensive? Read the book. It's been pretty good for a couple of thousand years. But all of a sudden, the last 20 years, oh no, we've got to throw it out now. Has God changed or have we changed? Has this book changed or is our culture? And who bows the knee to who? Does the Bible bow the knee to us today or do we bow the knee to the authority of Scripture? Parents, it is our responsibility to know what God says, to share it, to show it with those that we love and lead, particularly in our home. Because if we are not intentional with discipling our children, they'll be discipled in other means. I love and appreciate the school that my girls go to. But they're not primarily responsible to disciple my children. I am. If and when issues come up where they're educated in ways that I think is unbiblical, unscriptural or not right, it is my responsibility to address it. And I cannot abdicate my responsibility to do so because I am more fearful of reporting, responding <laughs> to God than anyone else. I don't care what the social fabric is of society. I don't care what fines. I don't care what threats are given as a parent. We've got to uphold the responsibility to lovingly lead our children. Here we see the example of a father who did what was right. He let his child go in love, but he also let his child come back. And he also let go of whatever rights he may have had to never talk to his son again. Because again, let's go back to the context. In the first century, when Jesus told this conversation, Middle Eastern culture, that son would be cut off from the community. It was a, an incredible insult. And he would have to do good works to slowly get back in to association with the community. But something incredible happened. The father responded in a way which was antithetical to what should have happened. He changed the storyline here. It says, He arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Hey, footnote there, God sees you before anyone else. He sees every twitch of your soul that moves in his direction. He is waiting for it. It says he saw him, he felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22, I've got circled, but because he didn't finish his speech. There was a speech that the son had rehearsed. If you go back, remember the speech says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before, you, uh, before heaven and, and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But the father stopped him at that moment. He says, but it says, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. 
and all the vegetarians said, Bon appetit. And let us eat and let us celebrate. The father had a love that lets go, but the father also had a love that longs. He was longing for his son to return. He was looking out and he saw his son. See, the looking was the evidence of the love. He saw his son, it says, and he felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. He saw, he felt, he ran, he embraced, and he kissed. Imagine a wealthy, middle-aged man with good stature in his society, wearing a robe of himself, running. That just doesn't happen. Jesus is painting a picture here of how much the father had missed and longed for his son, but would do what he could to just run after. He would be pulling up his, his, his hem. He would be lifting it up to run. He didn't care, but with a reckless abandon, he came and embraced him. In fact, the NIV doesn't just say embrace. The NIV says, let's see. He threw his arms around him. I love that. He threw his arms around him. This whole chapter, Luke 15, is all about that. A looking, a longing to find that which has been lost. Are you lost today? Maybe you know what it's been like to be lost. Understand that when you have come to Christ and when I have come to Christ, there is a father who, like that, has been looking, longing for our return. And, and, and at the moment of repentance, of coming back, coming to ourself and then coming to the father, what does he do? He runs, wraps his arms around and he kisses, he embraces and he bestows honor. That's my father. I can't help but think about the story of Kyle Suarez, who leads now our music ministry over in Ellenbrook. Can I show the picture, please, of Kyle? You guys remember that guy? Some of you know his background. This man in his younger years uh, was on the streets with drugs and alcohol. And his father, Mario, would, at various points throughout the day and night, would wake up and search the streets looking for this man. This guy, to this day, could be in a gutter, could even be dead. But he had family members, particularly Mario as his father, at any time, would go out searching for him. He came to Christ, Pastor Scott was involved and still is with discipling him. 
went through Teen Challenge and is now leading our music ministry over in Ellenbrook. Can you see what God can do? You see what God can do? Through his arms. Can I show you the picture of um, that painting, please? Does anyone know the name of this painting, by the way? Who painted it? Rembrandt painted this. It's an oil painting. You'll find it in St. Petersburg in Russia. And the painting is called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Rembrandt died in 1669. In the last two years, they estimate that's when he painted this. Can you zoom in a little bit, please, Wes? I want you to see something. Do you see the hands over the sun wrapped around? The hands were not pointing. How dare you? How could you do this to me? How could you do this to your family? How could you be so wasteful? The hands were not clenched fist. I I ordered. Oh, I'm going to. It wasn't a backhanded, shameful slap, an insult. You've embarrassed me. It was hands of embrace. See those hands. God's hands are on you today as you yield, surrender to him. If and when we go astray, it's less about letting him down. We've let ourselves down. Our heavenly father is just willing and waiting and wanting for us to stay in this embrace. He longs for that. But I want to continue reading as I finish. It says this. Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Again, look at what the father does. He doesn't waste a penny. He lavishes. We see a love that lavishes. Your heavenly father is lavishing blessing all over you. When one sinner repents, when one person turns to him, do you know that there's a party that goes on in heaven? There is rejoicing. There is celebrating. Maybe as a son you've been wandering, maybe as a daughter you've been wandering, and you make a decision today to come back into his loving embrace. There is such celebration that's going on. And you don't need to when you err, when you struggle, when you make mistakes to put yourself on the cross because someone has already done it for you. Why would I want to do that to myself? Why beat myself up? Why? Jesus done that for me. I don't want to waste what he's done. I say thank you. And it's because of what Jesus has done, I can stay in that place. And in that place, he lavishes. He loves. Ephesians 1 verse 7 and 8, it says, In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. 
in all wisdom and insight. Was it fair that the father loved the son like this? Not really. Because what was fair would have been complete excommunication. That's fair. But this is what his grace looks like. I want to read on because, again, the story is not just about one son. It's about two. See, Jesus didn't stop the parable there, did he? He kept on going. And I want to make the mistake of, of stopping short here. It says, Now his oldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of his servants, and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, such another sad verse. It says, But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out. There's the father again. He's pursuing, isn't he? He's coming out. Didn't need to do that. Should have sent out a servant. He himself came out. That's what grace looks like. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, I like he says, when your son, this son of yours, he's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. It wasn't just about the fattened calf, it was the fact that there was a party going on. And probably... Bringing him back into the family means more inheritance, sharing of assets, sharing of resources, sharing of bios, sharing of life. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The first son was lost out in the wilderness. The second son was lost at home. You can be lost at home. Both sons misunderstood the love of the father. They both thought that they could have got it from merits. The first one went away, said, if I could just serve my way back in, if I could just do the right thing. The father says, no, I'm putting an end to this. I'm not even going to let you finish that sentence. Enough. You're my son. The second son, the, the other son, the elder son referred to here also misunderstood the love of the father. Hang on, dad, I've been doing everything good, everything right. I've followed all the rules. I have never disobeyed you. How dare you do this? Son, everything that, everything I have, it's yours. What's wrong? Come back inside. This isn't fair, dad. He didn't understand the love of the father either. See, I've also caught myself out being the second son. One son was clearly rebellious. The other son was clearly religious. Both were sinners. You can be lost in the house and not even know it. You can be here this morning and you're like, no, I've been good my whole life. I've never done anything wrong. I'm a good, I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. But you can still not know the love of the Father. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning? 
And Jesus ends the story there. I would imagine that there are people listening to this parable waiting. Well, what happened with the older son? Did he, did he come back, Jesus? Did, did, he, did, he, did, he, did he come back inside? But Jesus stops it right there. And I, I would pose that it's directed to the Pharisees, remember, who he's addressing. And the question then is put to them, will you be like the older son and get upset with the fact that I'm looking after the outcast, I'm letting them in, or will you come in too, or will you just stay on the outside and miss it based upon your good deeds and your good works you think you know me? This morning we're going to finish with communion, and I want us to ask ourselves that same question. Are we ready to do that this morning? Whether we will embrace the love of the Father this Father's Day. If we find ourselves as rebellious, will we come to Him? If we find ourselves as religious, will we come to Him? One thing is certainly clear. It's His goodness because He's the hero. And so all we do is we say, yes, thank you. Or we fold our arms and we say, no, thank you. The cross is not just a reminder. The cross is the power for us to know the love of the Father today. To not think that we can serve our way into God's good books. His love for you now because of the cross is as much as it ever needs to be or will be. He loves you completely. As he loves the Son, he loves you. And for those of us that are struggling to accept that our identity is based on his goodness, not our own, we can come to him this morning. God, there was such a big hole in our hearts and when we disconnect from God, we try and fill it with other big things. The first son, try to fill it with wasteful, excessive living. The second son was trying to fill it with his good deeds. One thing is clear, that when you're alienated from God, you really are alienated from yourself. As you've got the emblems, I want you to consider, if you will, the grace found in our loving Father. Think of all the things that he has let go of to have you. Think of what God himself has let go of to come to this earth. Give up his life. Think about how much he longs for right relationship. He, he, he's a father. He's a God who, who longs for restoration. He longs for redemption. He longs for reconciliation. He longs for right relationship. But also think about that because of the cross, what he's lavished upon us, every blessing, everything that pertains to life and godliness, we already have. We've already got it. Father, we thank you. We consider you now 
as the good father. And we thank you that if we want a good picture of the father, we just look to the son as we do in this story that Jesus is pointing not just to the father, but to himself. So in this moment, we consider the cross that it was So what happened 2,000 years ago at Calvary that has allowed us into this incredible access and this love that we have. We see in you, Lord, a, we see a gentle strength, but we also see a generous grace. And we know that you have loved us first. 1 John 4.10, this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. As you've got um, the juice and the bread, when you get it ready, consider the bread that represents the body that was broken for us. Father, we thank you for body of your son Jesus was given for us for the remission of sin for the forgiveness of sin the cleansing for new life thank you Lord we also thank you for the the juice the covenant of grace that represented the blood of Jesus the uh, the loss of life on our behalf thank you Father Lord, if there are parts in our hearts where we are rebellious or religious or even both, we surrender, we yield, we give in, we give up, and we say thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.